while. Sorry for the long pause. This is Rochelle Tayag Ramirez and with John G. Tayag. Kamusta, kamusta? Sorry for the long, long, long delay. Hopefully, everyone had a good holiday and we're back. Yes. So, okay, today we will leave, we will talk about where we left off, um, which last time we talked about overseas Filipinos and their contribution to the Philippine economy um, and uh, personal effects of family separation. And also, we talked a little bit about the ism. I mean, we peppered it in throughout our shows about that, because that, you know, we can't escape classism, racism, sexism, you know, and just, just, it, it's a big subject. Colorism. Oh, sorry. Colorism, too. Yes, we sh should address that now. Everybody, especially the social media thing, everybody's in the so-called woke thing, so we might as well also address that because it seems like people are addressing a lot of that stuff. So um, it's like what we talked about, hopefully we can just tie it in with, even though, you know, especially with the Philippine culture, it's a beautiful culture, but we also also have to explore the ugly side of every, uh, of the culture because it's just part of our character too. Yes. So, Janji, I know you have been doing um, a little bit of research that connects with our, of course, personal background. And okay. we experience a lot of the ism. Um, it's affected us. And we tried on our part not to practice a lot of the ism and try to op you know, have an open mind and an open heart. But I'm going to let you go and run away with the show first. Yeah, so like, uh, like I said, we can't really completely talk about just keep things one-sided. So like when we're talking about the struggles of Filipinos and we tie it in with, with uh, our own relatives, especially, uh, especially our grandparents, our parents. And when we talk about the Philippines, like I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's such, it's an archipelago with thousands of islands and obviously has uh hundreds and thousands of indigenous groups so when you have a culture that's so diverse you're always going to have differences you're always going to have partialities and biases so i guess i would start it off from an anthropology anthropology uh through anthropology i mean some of their you know like especially we're talking about we we talk about the aspects of um let's say the big thing in philippines is colorism I mean, it's in every culture when we're talking about light skin, dark skin, you know, and because my uh, I know a lot of people who always talk about that. They always address and you see it now in social media. They're just with colorism and the darker, the, the, the lighter and fairer you are. Supposedly, the uh, the disposition and the outlook's always been like you're supposed to be like even through our our TV and even through hiring process. You can see it even. Um, the lighter skin you are is supposed to be more appealing. So that there comes in the colorism and that also ties in, I guess, back in the days that also come ties in with um, even with classism. So yes, because supposedly um, the darker you are meant that you are working out in the field and the lighter you are 
meant that you were inside the house, so you didn't have to work. You know, you, you weren't one of the servants or the field workers. And it's interesting because um, it was last week or the week before the Philippine Philippine Vogue finally featured a native uh, a native woman as its cover, and it happens to be that uh, the, the tattoo artist we had spoken about. She the um, I for, I'm sorry, I forgot her name again. John, do you remember? No, I mean, like I said, I mean, uh, but yeah, she's indigenous over uh, the parts of Baguio, but her features aren't the features that they always try to represent, especially in the TV or even in, we talk about Miss Universe. I know before, I believe it was a few years ago, uh, Miss Universe, she was actually through an interview when she was grown because she's half, I think, Indian or half Pakistani, half Filipino, before they didn't even really accept her because they said, well, you don't you don't have the fair skin, you don't look like this, and you're not considered. But as soon as she won the Miss Universe, they fully accepted her, you know? Yeah, but it, it's still going on in the Philippines. Yeah. That's why I was, surpri- I was surprised, and I'm actually happy that they featured, the, um, they featured that indigenous woman because right, even now, you know, the the Philippines, uh, Miss Philippines, she happens to have lighter skin or the Western features that seems desirable uh, in Philippine society and in marketing, in um, just in the commercial aspect that they're trying to promote. And a lot of them actually are half Caucasian and then they would just uh, then they would come to the Philippines because their parents or I don't know, somebody said, oh, we can, we can promote you because you're so beautiful. And then lately I've read the Vanessa Hodgkins. Um, yeah. She was, she's half Filipina, but she never embraced being Filipina for all of her career. Then all of a sudden she's donning the Maria Clara uh, dress and she's like, yes, I'm proud to be Filipina. Yeah, they made uh, it's crazy because they did they they she's been getting a lot of backlash because because they made her the ambassador. That's why she's doing all that. So yeah, both, she's never embraced her Filipina background yeah. before. And in a way, if you know, I don't know who's the one who put her as the ambassador. So at least she she accepted it. Maybe some people turned it down, but but yeah, like you said, I mean. With this thing with Vogue, now that's the America, that's Vogue uh, America, right? Not Vogue Philippines. No, no, that was Vogue Philippines. Oh, okay, so maybe they're right. They're riding the woke movement. So, but yeah, I mean, it is good. Now when we're talking about like you know, it's funny we're talking about like the when people, um, if I can put some some history on this, you know, when we're talking about, it's almost even though the Philippines is not like India, Pakistan, where there's a caste system, but even though there is no caste system, but it feels like there is a caste system, if you know what I mean, because if you're from a certain background, the Philippines, especially economic background, and if you look a certain, you have a certain look, you're almost categorized almost in a caste system where you're, like you said, it considered like a, of a higher uh, status. Yes, yes. Then, oh. Uh, I just want to interject. Her name is actually Apple Wang Odd. Yes, Philippine Vogue. And she's 106. Oh, damn. Okay. 
Yeah, so now we're going back to like, you know, it, just just for FYI, and I could be correct. Like I said, a lot of the stuff we talk about, you guys can always comment if we're not that accurate. But um, if we're talking about how these, you know, like how I was talking about the cast, but not really the cast system, but there were certain like, if I don't know if you've ever heard of the term uh, the peninsulares. You know what that is? No, no. So the, the Spaniards, they consider them the highest class in the Philippines entrusted with offices of high rank because they're full, they're full, they're pure-blooded Spaniards born from Spain and sent to Spanish colonies. That's called peninsulares. Oh, peninsula. Okay, yes, yes. And like then, the peninsula, meaning yes. they're from, from, yes, the native, I mean, native yeah. country, yeah. And below them, they, they call the insulares. I don't know if you know. They're basically a rank below the peninsulares. They are like um, European descent, but born born in the colonies of Spain, some, basically second generation, but they were yes. born in the Philippines, but they still have 400 Spanish. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You know how we always use the term mestizo, the Espanol. Right. So, you know, sometimes we, we, we say it loosely because even though you could be, you don't necessarily, when you say he he's or she's mestizo, mestiza, it doesn't have to be Spanish, but technically mestizo, mestiza, like you know, you're of Spanish uh a Spanish blood or Spanish mix in interbreeding with Filipinos. Right, you're half and half. Yeah. Now, now there's another term, mestizo de sangle. I'm not. It's basically you're coming from European person, a Filipino or any racial descent, marrying a Chinese. So this is mestizo de sangle, S A N G L E Y. That's when you're mixed with with other blood other than Filipino. Which would be the Chinese, what they consider the Chinese. I don't know if you ever heard that. Yeah, I have, and it's interesting because the Philippine, uh, the the Chinese came in. Um, I would say, well, because it's closer to China, um, but they've never really integrated, or uh, because the Spanish were in charge, so they always thought of them as foreigners, and would discriminate against the Chinese native yeah. living in the Philippines. Yeah, now we're talking about that. So Tor Tornatras, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're basically a mix of Chinese, Filipino, and Spanish. Tornatras. No, I did not know that. Yeah, wow, wealth yeah. of information. Yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, when they, they always talk about mestiza or something like that, it's a loosely term, but technically... Tornatras is, I think that's more of a, like, if you're mixed with something else. So, I mean, that's how, like, technically that looks like a caste system, if you have to put it in a hierarchy, you know. Well, it is a caste system, because that's yeah. what uh, the definition of a caste system is. Yeah. You know, certain people belong to certain class, and they're, they're ranked. I mean, we had that in Boston and the United, well, it's particularly in Boston when they had the, what they called people who lived in the Northeast, the Was, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant uh, as the Brahmins, which they took from the Indian term, the highest class. Yeah. So it is, it, yeah, in a, in a lot of societies, we have that. And uh, we still, you know, have it subtly. It's not as pronounced as I would say the British has it or in European countries where they have, they still have monarchies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what it's, it's just it's just crazy how we're talking about that. Even like um, 
you know, with now talking about even with colorism, like people don't, I don't know if you, you are familiar also with, with, um, if you really trace back the lineage of Filipinos, you know, it, it's just, it's just, I don't even know how far back if it was a European thing, the colorism started because I'm pretty sure pre, pre uh, colonialism, most Filipinos looked at each other, the, the, the light skin, fair skin, the mix probably didn't have any, ha- have any bearing, especially between like all the, the, uh, the separate indigenous tribes in the Philippines. Yeah, so it wouldn't be, I don't, it wouldn't be colorism, but as human beings, we tend to classify or try to put each other above or below one another. So it might not be colorism, but it might just be tribal. And it's, you know, it's it's that innate sense of being, um, you know, prejudiced towards another group. And with so many tribes in the Philippines, I'm sure they all had preconceived notions of, you know, this tribe is 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 um, is lazy or this tribe it doesn't fight as well as this tribe. Yeah, so... and 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 that that has carried on because, like you said, now we're, we're um well, and we'll get back to what you're saying because as far as the tribes, because like when we're talking about colorism, like. Uh, it's a big thing with the Philippines, especially if you're darkest skins, but they don't really understand. Like, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the, the what they call this, the different like um, waves of the Philippines, like the how it how how the migration. I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with that. So, Why don't you lighten us, John? Jay? So Why the, 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 there's like three there's three theories, but the most recent one is uh, which I'll get to after I explain the first two is is the um, you know, the first theory is called Bayer's Wave Migration Theory. It's from a, a, a prehistoric, prehistoric uh, anthropologist at the University of the Philippines. His name is H. Otley Bayer. I mean, he, he suggested there was like um, people from, from the Asia, Asian area and from like the Austronesian area and then and mostly, and even some parts of Africa, um, the Malays, basically. And then there's the core population theory, which is like a less rigid version of the earlier wave version, which which states that um, they they came from New Guinea, Borneo, and some parts of Australia. But the most modern theory, where they actually a little bit more accurate, because they actually did a. Um, they did. They actually did a 2021 genetic study, so which examined almost like 115 indigenous communities, and found like evidence of at least five independent waves. So there were five independent waves, which stem from the Negrito groups. So they all came out of East Africa, because this was before. Um, this is this is during the Ice Age. So. If people are familiar with science with ice age, that means there was less water, so there was more land bridges. So they came out of East Africa, and they headed, uh, like I said, they headed towards Pakistan, India, and the mountains, the Himalayan mountains, separated. Either they go, uh, either where they either go west or north or south. But so so some parts came from Taiwan. Some parts were Austronesians, but 
it didn't matter because they all they all came from East uh, East Africa. So that, that I guess that's the most like current like study which took a study of a genetic study. So if you have to really look back at the genetic 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 root from everybody, that's what they're saying. Everyone came from East Africa. Some settled in Taiwan. Hence, that's where you have people saying, well. Some some settled in in Malaysia. Some are astro astro um, or astro Asiatic, but regardless of where they settled, it's it's where they began was East Africa. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's because, why our features. That's why I've the features read, of the nose and everything. Yeah, because I've read somewhere that um, th there are some Filipinos who are in Madagascar, and there was a lot of uh, features they found that were very similar to people in Madagascar. And so that's that's really interesting. And I remember I did take that 23andMe um, uh, test and it, dis, it does have some kind of astro, uh, like Malaysia, yeah. uh, Taiwan roots to it. Yeah, so and, yeah, basically Astronesians either from Southern China or Taiwan, but regardless of like I said, they were from there because, but all those, the uh, Southern China, Taiwan, Astronesia, they all stem from East Africa. And then after the ice age happened, there was more water. So the people had to either take boats from, from Taiwan or Southern China or found, found another route. And they, like I said, they went through either the Palawan route or the Mindanao route. So that's why um, you can find a similarity, but yeah, and, it, and it's crazy because, like, when you think about Negritos, they're not really well represented in the Philippines. When people, when you ask, oh, what do the typical Filipinos look like? Or for some reason, I mean, from what I see, like, they don't ever really mention the Negritos. Even when I, when you think of Filipinos, you know, you think more of straight hair, uh, dark skin, but as dark as the Negritos, the, the nose is not as, as per, the nose is more pronounced, more pointy. But yes. It's, well, it's interesting because when I was looking at the study of the Igorots and how they weren't integrated into the society with the mm -hmm. with the Spaniards, it's because they were up in the high mountains and a lot of the Spanish didn't even bother going up to the high mountains. It was too rigorous. And going back and talking to um, relatives, uh, I mean, friends and relatives in Spain, they always ask about you know what's what's going like is there a lot of Spanish in the Philippines, and I had mentioned no because the Philippines was so far away, the route was Spain to to Cuba then Cuba to Mexico then Mexico to the Philippines, and by that time a lot of the Spaniards who were going they probably they stopped at Cuba and and Mexico, and it was just so far away from from Spain that, you know, the thought of leaving families and things that are familiar for some. So most of the people who went to Spain, mm -hmm. I mean, to the Philippines from Spain, were usually from the religious, military, or somebody from the crown representing the Philippines. And then there are some few business um, ventures <laughs> out there. So, and they were just so far from, 
from Spain that a lot of them took an autocratic kind of ruling. Because when I always mention about how the Spaniards treated the Filipinos there, they were like, no, that's not true. And I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny, even the, the writing, um, how the writings disappeared. Like you, you're probably familiar with, with Kalinga and Sanskrit. I mean, the oldest text was, uh, I think, eight, the year of uh, Saka, eight twenty two. The, the the oldest it's a LCI was the old it's it's written in Malay with influences of Sanskrit old Jab old Japanese and old Tagalog. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so the Sanskrit mm. is Indian based. The yeah. Indian, so there's that influence again uh, of that, you know, and a lot of the words actually, a lot of our Tagalog words. They keep saying it's a lot of it is Spanish. Actually, no. A lot of the words can. It's a mixture of Malay slash Indo uh, Indonesia. Well, Malay Indonesia's language is based on Malay too, and Indian because there's a lot of words that, and there's just a sprinkle of Spanish words, and that's just reminiscent of the occupation of Spain. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of crazy how things get lost. And, you know, how you were talking about the ruling class, you know, before how you said it wasn't based on colorism, but the but the class was based on, like, the Datu means it's a ruling class. Magino, noble class, which is Datu sense from. Maharika, warrior class. Timawa, which was a free man. Alipin, depends on the class, classified by... by serfs and uh serfs or slaves that's how they they did the social classes priest uh priest uh, uh colonialism time those are the wording well that's the thing too right um when you have these classes that's universal in all society people like to say you know we we're going to eliminate the social class but you can't it's just human nature that they tend to classify everything, whether it's by color, by work, by money, uh, but, you know, there just seems, it, it's just human nature. I mean, in Boston, I remember, you know, because there's so many great universities there, there's that too about your education, where did you come from, where did you study, or, um, and then when you think of Beacon Hill, you think of, you know, before, you think of the wasp, you think of what they said, the Brahms, uh, the wasp in Beacon Hill. And then there's the thing about new money. And so, yeah, so that's a universal theme. And then that, that carries all over. And of course, there are some things that stick to us uh, that's, that, um, th that's also about, you know, in terms of classism, in terms of economics, I remember when I was living in France. If if I, you know, to to a lot of French, they look up or they see the Japanese as equal because of their economic status statue in the world. But then, if they if I say Filipino, they're like, oh, and they kind of look down on the Filipinos because of domestic the, help. Yes, domestic help. And it's like wait. Yeah, yeah, they forget. And, and like you said, unfortunately, it's just part, you know, I mean, it's a good thing that, like what we're talking about with uh, 
OFW or OCW, overseas contract workers. I mean, sometimes you got to take the job with what's given to you. I mean, and it, like you said, it also sustains the Philippine economy. You go to another country, even though you're, you're more well-educated than the people you're ta taking care of and more professional, but sometimes because of uh, the circumstance dictates of what you have to do, sacrifice. So you have to take certain jobs, like you said, as domestic help or uh, other other industries that's, you know, that's, I don't want to say below, but that you're overqualified for because economics dictates it because it, it pays more and you got to provide for your parents back home, your brother, your sister, or your, or your kids. And till this day, that still has a lot of Filipinos work um crew a lot of cruise ship a lot of fishing fishing boat and and like you said uh in various parts of the world to do a job where otherwise most people wouldn't want to do if they if they if they had the uh the opportunity if they could just stay home and do the same uh professional job well it's also interesting because we talked about this offline this perception too about uh, the Filipinas, right? And how they're perceived in society. Because we were taught, you were mentioning that this team, this show, 90 Passport Days. Passport Brothers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Passport Brothers. <laughs> and then there is that, um, what do you call this? That 90 day visa fiance. Yeah, no neck, no big ups. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. And Tyreek. And because it also stems from that time when the U.S. Uh, had bases in the Philippines, and <laughs> it's it was well known that the the a lot of the servicemen, of course, um, you know, to while away their time, had had relationships or paid relationships with these women, and so then there's that that prejudice of, oh, okay, so. You're here in the States, you're Filipina, you're with a Caucasian guy. So that means that he brought you here either through mail, back then they called mail order bride and, or they met you, he met, he was a serviceman, he met you in the Philippines, brought you here. Um, so it's just kind of like. Yeah, it, well, it's, like you said, it, it's, a, it's a stigma, it's a bad stigma, you know, I mean. And it's like you said, I mean, I mean, even to this day now, especially with social media, that's what people think, especially there's a few, few American ladies who are saying, well, they're only, they can hardly speak, you know, this was their court. They said, well, they can hardly speak English, not educated. And these guys are going over there because they know they can take advantage because the, the females over there are desperate and which is not true. I mean, it's like you said, it's just a, a small minority, but sometimes the small minority, when it when it's it's controversial, it, it it grows exponentially. You know, especially when it's controversial. You know, controversy sells. It does, yeah. and how these little prejudice, or these little, um, yeah, it's it's stigmatic, especially to the Filipina women all over. I remember when I was working in the Philippines at Subic Bay when they just turned over Subic to back to the Philippine um, there was a, a few of us who worked inside the base and you know doing the planning and um, 
you know, one of my friends, she came from a very wealthy family in the Philippines. Uh, she was a sugar princess, meaning her family owned a lot of the sugar plantation. But she at times would not want to work or be seen um, this with this guy with this consultant from the World Bank because he was Caucasian. And there, because there was a couple of times when she would be, you know, we'd have lunch or something, and then they'd see her, and they thought she, they thought that she was with Mark, and and then they would say something slide like, oh, she's she's just, you know, she's one of those, and it's like, whoa. Yeah, they, they would they would picture her as opportunistic. That's what it was. Yes, uh, so, and even myself sometimes when I'm in the Philippines, you know, I'm in the Philippines. Um, and I used, to, you know, I when I worked with ADB, and I, I don't want to be seen with my Caucasian male colleagues because I didn't want that stigma on me, which is awful, and I shouldn't say that, but it's just it it goes into your psyche too. Yeah, well, and, it's, it's it's like you said, especially in other countries, it's still, you know, unfortunately, even especially not even so much a race thing too. It's almost like uh a sexist thing too still i mean it's still because it's not it's not as progressive as other countries you know like most first world countries where where they they look at where it's more accepted to have a female boss or uh females play a different role other than domestic roles or they're not as they don't play second second fiddle to male you know so and and i think some people still have to get rid of that because i miss the military people you know, when you say, well, uh, how can you have in the Philippines? Um, I'm not going to name, but I, met, I talked to some soldiers and they said, well, you know, I don't know how, you know, I could follow a, a female officer who's high ranking. But at the same time, I was thinking, wasn't your, wasn't your like commander in chief, your president female at one point? You know? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I guess they had Makapagal. And they had what's uh, Aquino. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, even like when we're talking about that, like you, you said, even with, uh, and that still translates also in the Philippines, it's like you said, with, with the isms, that we talked about colorism, the sexism too now. Um, like I was talking to a few people, like you still have to show, especially if you're female, I heard you still have to, for applications, you still have to show, provide a picture of yourself. And I heard even, I heard even, even the uh, airlines, if when I traveled in, uh, <clears throat> the airlines, the stewardesses, they were, you could tell they were handpicked, like they were a certain build, a certain uh, skin tone, a certain age. Oh, well, it's not just, uh, it's not just in the Philippines. It's all over because yeah. it, with Emirates, uh, I know that with the flight attendants there, the female flight attendants, at least, they are given, they're given um, extra money to learn how to do makeup and how to present themselves. They have to, and they're weighted, weighted. They have to weight a certain- oh, like, like supermodels. <laughs> yes, and, uh, or cattles. <laughs> cattles yeah. are weighted. Supermodels are not weighed. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's amazing to me. When I left the US to work in France, and I remember when I was uh, trying to get a job, the thing that struck to me, though, was I had to get my picture taken. You know, those uh, those those 
ID pictures yeah. because it had to be attached to the resume wherever I sent it. So this was over 25 years ago. And then you put your address, even your address gets, uh, gets, you know, gets judged whether you're from, you know, are you part of the acceptable arrondissement or not? Or do you live in the Banlos? Which Banlos do you live? So it kind of reminded me of the Philippines because oh. in the U.S., they, they would never ask you to put a picture of yeah. yourself for a resume. <laughs> yeah, that's what they told me. It's still like that. You have to. And, and it's like you said, we're going, going from the macro-isms, like basically based on the objectives, like the color, the 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 colorism the 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 gender and now when we break it down to uh the class you know like you said the classism now which is basically based on you know even is based on if, if you're from a certain class I, I even especially from when i talk to people in the philippines like you know you can go to, you go to a certain school like I, I could be wrong like i know they were talking about la Salle or ateneo i forgot which school was more um, I know UP, I know recently that ranking in UP went down, but UP before it didn't really matter what your economic background was or status. You have to get in there because of your high intelligence. And then I don't know if it was Ateneo or LaSalle. I think maybe LaSalle was more of the uh, country. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's a country club thing. And then, well, yeah, Ateneo, so there's the, this, the Ateneo and LaSalle. So if you or San Beda, um, and then for the girls, they had uh, Marymount and Assumption, Assumption. And those carry the different ism too. Uh, yeah, so Ateneo meant that you came from an upper class as well as you were intelligent. Um, UP, you are very smart. It doesn't matter, or you're the best of the best. Or an activist. <laughs> or an activist, <laughs> yeah. And then LaSalle is, you're smart, uh, but you could also be very wealthy that you your parents could have donated something and then you got in. So is, it like, is that like a Yale? What? The equivalent to like that, that mentality, a Yale, a Yale University. Like well, I think I think LaSalle would be more like an NYU, a B, BU, or a uh, USC. Mm. So, and then Ateneo, <laughs> I would say, would be more like the the Harvard or like the Ivy Leagues. Of... And then and UP would be more like Brown University or Berkeley University, or I would say it's UCLA. Because it's a state school, but it's a very high-ranking state school. Yeah, and I heard recently uh, some people work who who, used, who are alma mater of UP. Now, I don't know what happened, but they said UP actually is second now compared to uh, La Salle or Ateneo. Or probably Ateneo, because Ateneo has been ranking really, has been ranking high. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it just, it comes with a different connotation. Just like in the states, if you say that you graduate from a certain certain place, um, but I must say though, in Boston, growing up in the East Coast, especially in the Northeast, people are a little more subtle about their class. They're not flashy. So the old money, you know, yeah, they don't. Different. Yeah. Whereas in the West Coast, they they're more flashy here. They yeah, especially 
especially here in Vegas. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. In Vegas. Um, so the East Coast kind of reminds me of more, I felt more at home, actually, afterwards in Paris because of that, whereas people who had money were just very subtle about it. They, they're not flashy. Yes. They're not wearing, you know, monogram bags. They would just have like a little accessories that shows off or, but they have their own style. Um, they, they were, um, what is, what's his name? He died, uh, the Apple guy. Um, Steve Jobs. Yeah, Steve Jobs. You know, you could, he hardly wore any jewelry. So it's, it's basically old money. You know, it's very old money. You wouldn't, you know. And people who are secure in their stature that doesn't yeah. need to show off. So, that's... yeah, and then and it's like what we're talking about too now, you know, from the school because of your status, it gets you into certain schools. And now from the schools, also certain jobs now after school. I mean, I imagine, especially with when it comes to dealing with business, like, you know, the the isms really kick in too. You know, your classism, where you're from, and then. Especially even your look, I can imagine, you know. Yes, because you have to present yourself a certain way. Um, well, I know, in the, you see here in the U.S., you could, t you could also tell where somebody's from because people in the Northeast, they're usually more, what, you know, they have the preppy look, right? The Brooks Brothers, um, more buttoned down, a little bit more conservative uh, look. Whereas in the West Coast, it's more uh, free and <laughs> what? A little Hollywoodish. Hollywood. Yes, a little more flashy, a little more showing off of designers and these monograms. And it's not subtle about them saying, "Well, we have money," or "We look like we want we have money." So, yeah, it's just these little messages. And it, it's human, you know, to, to distinguish yourself. And or from that distinction, that's what I'm saying, that no matter what, it, whether the Spanish came, before the Spanish came, before the Americans, there was different isms already. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but I believe, I think it became more pronounced. Because, I mean, if you look at, you know... I, like you said, the I, I doubt the colorism was there because of the, the mixture. Then, but I mean that's te technically a, a tactic. You know, it's like any uh, war tactic anyway. You know, divide and conquer. You you take the differences of people or the, the the you take differences of tribes. You know, just like the Europeans did in Africa. You take differences of tribes and then you know you promise one tribe for something. You you you, you show one tribe that you're better than them, and then you can use that tribe to overtake the other tribe, you know, you, you start introducing all that stuff. And, but like you said, it might've, it's, it was probably even been there because of, of the warfare, because of the, like you said, Philippines has a lot of different um, regions and which brings us now, like you said, the, to a more micro-ism is the regionalism. You know, you could be a certain status, a certain uh, complexion, but now all of a sudden, if you're, uh, Visayan, or you're from Pampangan, or you're from your Tagalog or Ilocano. There also lies the uh, like growing up, or even being in the military and being around other Filipinos, especially old school Filipinos. They'll say, "Guys from Pampangan." This is from you know, and this is jokingly and lightly. This isn't meant to to like insult anybody because I'm Kampampangan, Ilocano, and Visayan. So, uh, 
this is, you know, when I was in the military, people would always just joke around when you're with, 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 oh, he's Kumpapan, he's Mayabang, he's flashy, or he's, he's from Manila, he's a Manila person, he's Tagalog, he's, that means he's, he's, he's always like party going, always, oh, that, that girl's Visayan or Cebuano, they're very flirtatious, or they'll say Ilocano, they're very thrifty or cheap with their money. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, and, and going back to the U.S., it, it that's, that's pronounced everywhere. Yeah, you have the Bostonians that are very different from the New Yorkers and uh, somebody from California. Uh, we always know from... now that everybody from California has moved to Arizona and to to Vegas. Uh, Vegas, I, I actually I don't know Vegas. I mean I lived there, but it was it seemed more California to me when I lived there. Meaning yeah, that people, yeah, yeah because people very... used to say that Vegas is you know the old old west and they're more cowboy but i found that here in arizona that people are more uh in really independent like their territory meaning their space and yeah and i mean yeah one thing funny about like uh not to get away from everything like you said we're talking about vegas yeah because vegas has been it's a transitory town so you got people from from everywhere out here mexico uh California, different parts of the world, even now, even a lot of the the indigenous uh, were uh, third country national, like the Chinese. There's a lot of Chinese here, but yeah, you, like like you said, I mean, it's it's like just like the U.S. with the Philippines, you have different regions, and then like in, in the Philippines, like you said, with with those different classes, like you know, Kampapangan, Ilocano, Visayan, and these to this day, I mean, it's it's an unsaid thing, especially if you're around a bunch of Visayans, they might say something about. Ilocanos or Ilocanos might say something about Kapampangans uh, and stuff like that. And I'm pretty well, sure it's, it's also a way for the Filipinos who lived in the States to make themselves different, to stand out. And yeah. I remember when we were growing up, um, mom and dad would bring us to a lot of, well, because mom is Visayan, a lot of the Katpalagano. Yeah. Remember events and um, and dad having really grown up in Manila, not so much in Kampampanga, he never really or our the Tayaks never really participated in that because they were really based, uh, they were Manila bases going back to Mamang and Papang. You know, they left Pampanga uh, two generations ago, even though dad knew some of them and can still. Uh, connect with them, but they don't even. Dad doesn't even speak Kampapangan. Yeah, and, and like you said too, that's that's where like you know the isms. But I don't, I don't think the regionalism. I think back in the days that was even more prominent. But maybe now not so much, especially with the new generation. But I know with the older generation, it was probably a big effect. Like, like you said, especially with Mamang and Mamang, Mom, and you know, and other people from different places. You know, that's why maybe some people could have like questioned, oh, why would, you know, Mamang be treated like that by Mamang? Why would Mamang be uh, against Mamang because she's Filipino? Or why would uh, my mom, why, why would even mom be, might be looked at or be treated different because she's from uh, a province in Visayan? But, you know, back then, that's like, a, that was a norm. You know, I, yeah. know, I know now when people hear about it, it's like, no, there's no way. It's like, but, Back then, that was just a norm, you know. That's how people, people, 
you know, people look at other people based on their differences. Yes, exactly. And then they pronounce it and make try to make be superior over that. Yeah. I I could name a few of our relatives who have done that. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway, um, going back to that, I mean, living in the U.S., you know, that's also pronounced, as I mentioned, we go back to the reg- regionalism to make ourselves different from the other Filipinos and from other uh, other minorities, as we were called when we were growing up, the minorities. Yeah. Um, yes. And we were even lumped in in Boston. We were always lumped in. Oh, you're Chinese, and it's like, yeah. no, we're not Chinese. Yeah. Not that you know. I mean, maybe we have because the way we look, we're lighter, and we have yeah. our eyes are a little more, you know. Um, but no, we're Filipino, and Filipinos are very much different from Chinese. Yeah. Basically, they lumped us in with the continents. I call it the continent. It's like, oh, you're from the Asian continent. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. And it's like, no. And then, uh, and then I remember um, it sometimes, you know, if you say Filipina, um, I remember when I was living in the Berkshires, one of our, I don't know how we met them, but anyway, so one of the people that we met in the Berkshires, he was a, old military and he was like oh you know I have a Filipina wife I'm like and they <laughs> think that I'm also like I grew up in the Philippines or I grew up in the province or I could and then I'll meet their wives you know they had an association and it's like it's kind of odd because I'm like well I actually grew up in the U.S. not that there's you know yeah. Um, and I'll meet them and I'll ask, you know, so how did you guys meet? Oh, and one of them they met through because of back then, if you can imagine, they don't have it anymore, but they have the, the modern version is online dating, right? Or online apps. <laughs> back then it was a, literally a catalog. Do you remember that? Literally yeah. had a catalog of women um, <laughs> from Philippines that. that they pick out. Canceled. Then, that was today's called cancel culture. Yeah. And then they would like write to them. And that's why they were called mail order brides because literally, I guess that that was the thing too. Or or I remember when it was in the government, I think this they called it back then your pen pal. <laughs> we yes, became true. pen pal. Yeah. I guess, well, I guess because it's, it's a pen, right? Pen and pal. <laughs> yes, because you would write to them. But so what you is would... it now text? What is it now? Internet. internet yeah, now it's the internet. And uh, talking about that, you know, let's go back to the passport bros. So that's the modern version, right? The, the yeah. These passport bros who go mostly to Asia. And I think some went, are going to... They used to have, I don't know, Eastern Europe, but yeah. it's usually uh, Asia, Thailand, the Philippines, and they would yeah. meet the. And like you said, the, the bad thing is the reason I don't, I think I was telling you about even like 90 day fiance or um, like when you look at that one, like, I don't know if people have followed it, but when it, I, I was telling you, but why does it seem like if it's, some um fiance from europe they make it look like okay this is the they they don't emphasize it as much that she needs to come to america because her status in europe is this and that like 
they don't make her look as desperate. But when they do, especially the Philippines, if you watch it, I don't know why they picked Philippines. They don't have other places like Vietnam. I could be wrong, but mostly in the Philippines, they make it look like, oh, she's so desperate. That's why she's doing She's desperate. She wants to get out of the country. She's living in a poor section and stuff like that. But when they do the, the European versions, of the, the, especially the women, they don't ever emphasize, oh, they don't show like this broken down shack and they don't make it look like her. her the Philippines English is just as say almost is better quality, her pronunciations, her grammar than the European ones. But they make it look like, oh, she can't hardly they, they misrepresent the person by saying they're, they're on it. They make them look like they can't speak. They speak broken English, which is obvious because our sentence structure is, is different. You know, it's it, it, like you said, it's funny how people like uh, associate your education based on how you speak English. But that should never be the case because a person doesn't have to speak uh, fully uh, full English well to be educated. That's right. And that's the other thing, too. Right. Going back to the ism for that show they probably have i guess people like to call it now an unconscious bias that because they're european um that they must you know they're only doing this because they really love the guy so they they're not economically needy or anything they're not desperate they're just you know yeah well, even the one from Colombia, it's the same thing. I mean. Because she comes from a third world country, uh, a poorer economic country, to be like, oh, yeah, she's not really doing this because she loves the guy. She just wants, she's just desperate to get out of her economic situation. <laughs> and so, again, and, that's the and, ism. And that's... And, that's and to that point, to be fair, also it's targeting, because like, almost when you're typecasted, like, they did pick like this one. The, I think it was either Tyreek, that guy from Virginia Beach. They picked her. They picked that Filipina, and she said, "Oh, I have to get out of this situation." So why couldn't they pick somebody from Manila or somebody else, and who works at a call center? You know, because they had a few people from Europe, and the, the the one from Europe, she was from Britain. She she was like I think a single mom, but you know, but they didn't portray her. Portray her as desperate as the, you know, where they typecast and look for a Philippine in the outskirts when they could have picked somebody in Manila. Well, I must say some people in the Philippines too like to promote that because I don't know, one weekend we got into this rabbit hole about Filipinas and Americans are um, living in the Philippines. And then I stumbled on this video of this woman saying, I don't understand, you know, why people are giving, she's Filipina, she, why people are giving the passport bros a hard time. What if I had told you that if, you know, this guy, he lives in California, then all of a sudden his wife left him, he's in his 50s, and then um, he decides, you know, oh no, yeah, he decides I'll go to Arizona, buy sell, sell my house in california for a million dollars go to arizona buy a house for 400 million i have 600 that you know he has 600,000 he would be smart but what if that same guy instead of going to arizona decides to go to the philippines meet um a young woman and he starts a new life there 
why would people say that's not smart? You know, here he is. He's met a young woman who can give him a second chance in life. He has a new, new kids. And um, why isn't he smart? Why isn't he not smart anymore by going to the Philippines? It's like, what are you comparing a house? Yeah. <laughs> situation to a woman. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have a few friends, like uh, a few friends at our, our unit, and that's what they did. I mean, they, they met some people in Afghanistan and met the women in Afghanistan. I think they were working at the base or maybe in Dubai or somewhere when they went on uh, leave. And then he went there. He's been there for 10 years. He's, he's happy. I mean, his money, his retirement money goes a long way. You know, he's happy with her. So it, it shouldn't be judged based on that. So, you know, just because, yeah. People can say, well, she's only she's only with him for this and that. But, you know, she stayed there with him. They didn't go to America. And then she's working and he's happy. They have a house together. They have a kid together. It's not like, you know, it's like you said. It's, I mean, everyone has different circumstances because it goes the same when, when if a soul, if a person goes, comes from here and then let's say they'll go to somewhere in Europe in the outskirts where it's cheap or their money can go for more money. And it doesn't look look it doesn't get looked at it the same way. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, if I leave here and go to Spain and even in the outskirts of the big cities, I could live really well. Yeah. And they have those incentives. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was that couple too in the Philippines that I saw where the guy uh, met this girl online. And then he brought her to the U.S. She didn't really like living in the U.S. So he decided, you know, I'll go down to the Philippines, see what it's like. They didn't live in Manila. They live, I think, outside of Cebu or one of the province. And he's actually really happy there. And he works um, he works online so he could do his business and just come back to the U.S. once or twice a year to do his his in-person meeting so yeah you know people shouldn't judge just because and putting again this is about judging and it's just unfortunate that in some shows they still perpetrate that uh like in 90 day visa where they say oh the filipina she's she it's only it for the money. For as uh, somebody from Eastern Europe, oh, they really like the guy. He's, you know, yeah. so it seems like she's desperate, but he's she's in control. Well, and like you said, uh, to that notice, uh, why is the guy there? So why why can't it be fifty fifty? Because he's there looking for somebody who 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 he wants to. Let's say he's not even there for love, but for companionship. So why is he there for? You know, so if he knows her situation, it's an exchange. They're, they're two consenting adults, you know, but I don't know why they always make it look like, oh, they got to judge the Filipino. What about the person going there? You know? Yeah. I mean, nobody ever questioned that because, <laughs> yeah, it's anyway, but that's good. Um, okay, let's wrap up the show because we've been talking for over 15 minutes. Yep. Okay, so there it is. Like uh, like we talked about, we you know, since we tired and, you know, because everyone's talking about the colorism, the isms now. I mean, everything's coming out with this so-called woke movement. And, you know, if we're going to talk about one part of the culture, we got to talk about the, the uglier part of the culture. So we might as well explore everything and how it, it still does tie in. And like my sister said, she made good points because it's not just in, in the Filipino culture. It's also a European culture. And, 
we, you know, and how I talked about before the Europeans came, you know, there must have been differences, and it just got morphed into uh, colorism, classism, you know, and then, and then the hence like the caste system and how it still goes on today, especially after college, and then especially in the politics, you know, you see that in politics now too, in the Philippines. So, yes. So keep an open heart and a, keep an open mind. Stop judging yeah. and just, you know. So all the all the titas out there, stop. Like they said, titas couldn't give up gossiping, so they gave up pork. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. And, you know, these titas not only exist in the Philippines, they exist a lot, too, in Spain, I remember. Yes, <laughs> titas I... are... Titas are everywhere. Yes, yes. Anyway, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking with us. If you have any question, feel free to email us, leave a comment, and um, that's it. John yep. J. Like we said, all these things we talk about, you know, it's not set in stone, so, but they aren't based on our just, besides opinion, they're based on fact that, especially with the, uh, things we talked about we we interview people and and uh, we try to do our best research but yeah feel free to leave comments and add additional uh information magandang salamat magandang gabi magandang umaga magandang hapon ingat ingat Rochelle Tayag Ramirez I'm here with my brother yes Romeo Tayag thank you okay we're doing a podcast on growing up Filipinos in the East Coast. We Filipinos came... or Filipino? Filipino. You said Filipinos. See? 